Well, we've uh, wrapped up our series from last time, and, and one of the good things about having, a, you know, the kind of world we live in today is if, if you missed the previous series, or as maybe, uh, maybe the case, you might have forgotten what the previous series was about, like it was something about a road, I'm not sure what else. Um, I would invite you to go revisit it. But I'm going to presume all of you are A-plus students and you remember it. And we were talking about the road to the kingdom. And we had talked, you know, gone from October through December to talk about God's plan. And, and how he had laid everything out. And then we had gotten to the right at, the, at Christmas time that... that you know, the salvation plan, the rescue plan that came through Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked, about, we talked about worship. We talked about our proper response to Jesus is worship. And that worship is more than just singing. In fact, um, some people sing and it's not worship. Not because they're bad singers, but because their hearts aren't ready to worship. If you remember last time, you know, I, I said, if, if you spent this week encountering Jesus, worship was, it was what, no problem today. You know, when we sang worship, no problem. Didn't matter what songs were, didn't matter if they were new, didn't matter if they were old. You, you worshiped. If you didn't spend the week encountering Jesus, then you were, again, you were kind of relying on, on John or Gary or me or somebody to try to get you pumped up for Jesus. It's like, no, we should come pre-pumped, you know, because we've encountered Jesus throughout the week. But the road to the kingdom ultimately leads to this place where we're encountering Jesus constantly and we're responding in worship. So, so what now? What now, you know? That's what the kingdom is. That's what the road is. What now? Well, you might think like, why, why couldn't God just have said, okay, we got it. Now, boom, we're transported to this perfect world, perfect kingdom. But we're left here. And it's been 2,000 years. And for us, that's a long time. And, you know, if I were to ask the question, does the Bible tell us why? Not directly. But if I were to think about this, if I were to, you know, take what the Bible tells me about God and God's kingdom and the church... And if I were to think about it, then I would think this way. I would think that, that God is, is, is delaying, as the Bible tells us, out of his grace and out of his mercy for sure. But he's also doing it because, because he wants the church to be in every situation. In every possible situation, 
And can his church prevail in every situation? You know, Jesus had said, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's true. But it's the gates of hell and everything less powerful. In other words, nothing will conquer the church. That if the church is, 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 is in Jesus Christ, and if Jesus Christ is in the church, the church can be the church in every situation. And I mean every situation. Sadly, though, history shows us that it's kind of a mixed result. And in some sense, it depends on the church. Because in every situation, I mean this. I mean, if the church is, is persecuted, if the church is, seems like it's struggling and it's weak, can the church prevail in that situation? In other words, can the church be the church? Can the church reflect the kingdom? And remember, the kingdom, the kingdom is the kingdom of God. It will reflect the character of God, the, the nature of God. And before we get lost again, I, I made this point last week, and, and we've made this point over the series, John and I have, but before we forget... Remember, the nature of the kingdom is from the nature of the king. And the king did not conquer with power and military might. He conquered with love that died on a cross. We have to keep that in mind. When I talk about the church being the church, I'm not talking about, oh, the church is going to march out there and we're going to win all the political battles and, and we're going to establish, you know, the United States of Christianity. That's, that's what the world does because the world thinks small. The world thinks just for the next few decades or the next few centuries. The world just continues to think in these, these ideas of 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 just our petty politics. Unfortunately, Christianity, partly because so many Christians have forgotten this, Christianity's been made a, a compartment of society. And that was never the design. God's plan, God's kingdom is bigger than what we can, we can take in. Can we be that church? Can we, as a church, reflect who God is, the nature of the king, in every situation? Whether we're in prosperity or whether we're in poverty whether we're having incredible success in terms of numbers and buildings and all of that, or whether it seems like we're failing, whether we're being persecuted by the society or whether we're being accepted by society. Can 
we be the church. Whether it's good times, bad times, war, peace, internal, external problems, or whether we're just caught up in the regular day-to-day, the routine. Can we be the church? Why does God leave us? I think he leaves us in part for that reason. You see, I think this looking at the book of Acts, and I would like to tell you that what happened when I chose the book of Acts was that, you know, I had been praying about the next book and John had been praying and we fasted for, you know, three or four days. I would like to tell you this story. And that as a result, both of us independently said God communicated to us Acts. It's not true. This is what actually happened. I was sitting in my office with John and Chris like we do every Wednesday morning and I was like, ah, man, I don't know what to do next year. John said, what about Acts? All right. (laughs) But, you know, can God work through that? Yeah, I think he can because the more that I, I studied and the more I looked at this, the more I saw the value that this has to us today. And I, ha- I think it has it in, in, a, in a twofold way. I think it has it in the, in the big, huge way. And in the big, huge way is I, I, I think we need to return to understand what the church is, who the church is, how we are on the road, the path to becoming not a church, but his church. And I think we need this because I am going to make a statement that some people may not agree with, but I, I, I think if you think about it, you, you will eventually say, yeah, that's right. The church has never been more vulnerable than it is today. The church has never been more in danger than it is today. Let me ask you this. How many of you were raised in Christian homes or you became Christians and you raised your kids in Christian homes? Where are your kids today? Those of you whose kids are adults, where are they today? Are they somewhere else, worshiping God, connected with a healthy church, serving Him? Are they? The reason I think we've never been more vulnerable, never been more in danger, is because of the thing that I think in some sense we celebrate about this this day and age. This day and age we celebrate the fact that the world is connected more than ever. That we have access to information more than ever. But here's the problem. The problem is the world is really good at communicating its message and its message is either pro-world or anti-Christianity. And we're not very good 
We're pretty bad at it. I would tell you, do some research if you could stomach it. Do some research and just go, you don't even have to watch these shows or watch these movies or read books that have been written in the last you know, few, few years, but look for portrayals of Christians. And when you look for them, regardless of whether they're being presented negatively or positively, ask yourself, does that look like the Christians you know? I used to think it was funny because I would watch TV shows that had portrayals of Christians and I would be like, yeah, that's funny because, you know, it's, I know a couple people like that. I know there's always a hypocrite among us. I know there's always the super judgmental, super pious religious looking down their noses at everybody else. I know that's the case. But understand that I knew that was the case. I knew that was the exception because I spent my time with Christians. What about a world that the only time they ever hear about Christians is when they see one presented in the office, the TV show? Or they see them talked about on podcasts when they're being made fun of, when they're being ridiculed, when they're being stereotyped. And the evidence is we're losing the war. We're losing our young people again and again, even those who are brought up in Christian homes. The church has never been more vulnerable, never been more in danger. And that's why both from a standpoint of saying, okay, God, humble us. Tell us what we need to do. Tell us who we need to be. But also from a position of hope and encouragement, we look at the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts tells us God will prevail. That if he could prevail a thousand years 2,000 years ago through this kind of motley crew of, of, of 120 followers made up of people who weren't powerful, who weren't rich. Oh, there were a couple of, of religious leaders that you know, converted to Christianity. But most of the people were just these common people. And some of them had come from you know, kind of sketchy lifestyles. Maybe they had been prostitutes. Maybe they had been tax collectors. Even prominent among the group, which was unheard of in the day, were women. This was the group. This was the group that after three years of ministry, this is what Jesus had. 120. And God changed the world through them. He took took people who were like the lower part of of a people that that were conquered by the Romans. 
He didn't even pluck a few Romans. You know, let's get a few token Romans in here. No. It's all of these Jewish people who had been conquered. And they weren't even like the coolest of the conquered people. You know, they were like out in this place that, you know, oh my gosh, if you were the, you know, it's how, what I always felt my teachers back in the 70s and 80s at Campbell High School. It's like, I always wanted to ask them, what did you do wrong to end up here? You know, you know it's like, they're just, what did you do wrong that you ended up in Palestine? But there's incredible hope. Because if God could do what he did with those people, how much more can he do with us? And so we're looking here at the book of Acts, which, by the way, is, is the second part of, of the book of Luke. Luke and Acts, they go together. And there is some, some overlap. But I want us to look at verse 1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's interesting. You know, if you ever think like, hey, how do I start a book? You know, or you know, how do I start, if I had to like have the opening scenes to a movie, you know, what would I do? And you know, we would, you know, and that's, you know, Luke, if he's thinking, about how do I tell this story? You know, he, he might have started the story with Jesus was rising up into the sky and then did like a flashback. But no, he, he says, Jesus, you know, I told you what he began to do and teach, and you know what? That's what he kept doing, kept teaching. Why is this important? It's important because if we're going to become his church, a church knows God's word and follows it. A church is, is devoted to the teachings of Jesus, devoted to, to the scriptures. And we're not just devoted to study it and understand it. And we're not even just devoted to obeying it. But we believe that that God's word, as Paul writes, is alive. In other words, it changes us, it transforms us. It doesn't just change what we do it helps change who we are. 
we become more like Christ. This obedience, it's this connection to what has already been established. It's this connection to to the past of what Jesus has already taught and what he's already accomplished. It says in verse 2, you know, you know, after he was, until the day when he was taken up, he, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. And then it says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. And it says he was speaking about the kingdom of God. See, it's not just teaching, it's not just, um, you know, here's some good advice. But he's helping them, he's trying to help them understand the kingdom. And yet they still can't get it. They still don't fully get it. That's why he says the Holy Spirit has to come. But if you look at their question, he's gonna, they're going to ask this question in verse 6. He says, they say, hey, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still so much like we are, still just thinking about this world and the way this world, you know, conducts business and this, the way this world relates. It's the thing that we see throughout the Gospels. Jesus trying to help them understand the bigger picture, the greater things, and that they're still thinking like, That's, you know, it's all good, Jesus, but, but we're going to have a kingdom again, right? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus in his nice way, especially if the disciples weren't really listening, but in his nice way, he doesn't really answer their question. He says instead, he says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Somehow, this early group of Christians thought like Christians have in centuries that, that you know, sense. They, they, they heard Jesus' message of, of love and humility and servanthood. But somehow they still thought that, that, that that's all good. That's all good, Jesus. We want that to happen. And, but that has to be secured by some kind of earthly kingdom. That somehow an earthly kingdom has to make sure, you know, have this big power to, to make sure that we can all love each other. Jesus is saying, no, you're still not getting it. You're still, not, you're still missing the point of the cross. The point of the cross was a renunciation of the power, of the big conflict, of who's ever the strongest or the mightiest or the richest. 
that they're the ones who get to make all the rules and, and, and they're the ones that, that get to dictate everything. I've come to say that system is wrong. It's bankrupt. It ends in destruction. The way that I've shown you is the only way. And it's an awesome way. But he doesn't preach to them again here. He's like, it's almost like he's like, man, I spent three years with these guys. I died on a cross. I rose from the dead. I tried to explain it, and they still don't get it. You know, it's almost like he's just like, just wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And then you'll go, ah, got it now. And that's the point. If we want to become his church, we need to be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit, but not empowered by the Holy Spirit just to have a bunch of signs and wonders, but empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness to the world. To be a witness to the world. This is the whole idea behind, um, you know, obedience is that, is that we're called to be obedient, but it, our obedience isn't enough. It's not our goodness. It's not our courage. It's not our boldness, but it's God's that comes from his spirit. And if it's truly of God's spirit, it, it always leads to witness. It always leads to, to testifying about who Jesus is. If you took the most conservative number of Christians in this world, and it may be somewhere in the several hundred million, if you take the biggest number, it's over a billion. But I don't care what the number is. If, if the number is several hundred million, and if those several hundred million are encountering Jesus in such a way that they cannot help but worship Jesus, you know what's going to happen? Witness is going out. Because you will not be able to help but worship Jesus wherever you encounter him, and you can encounter him anywhere. You'll be that annoying person in your office who, who's like humming, humming that song. You know, you're, you're the, you know, you're the person who, who comes into, you know, where someone is sharing an you know, incredibly difficult situation and, and you listen and you're not like other people who are like, oh no, this person has just always got problem after problem. And then you pray for them. You're the person that's, that's, that's not afraid to, to share with people what Jesus is doing in your life. Whether it's big or small. You see, we, we've used witness to the world to always just refer to evangelism, like somehow I have to share the plan of salvation. And by the way, that's part of it. 
But another part of it is simply being able to show and tell people what Jesus is doing in your life right now. See, the obedience was what Jesus was teaching them in the first section was about things that had happened and, and now this empowering of the Holy Spirit is, okay, it's about obedience right now. What do we do right now? And we become this witness. And the most powerful witness that we have, the most powerful witness that we have is the love that we should have for one another. Jesus himself said that. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what breaks my heart. Whether it's your kids or my kids that fall away from the faith, what breaks my heart is, is, is that somehow even though they were in my house, and somehow, even though they were in church, they didn't see the supernatural power of the love of Christ that was binding us together. You see, we think it's cool. We think it's okay. This is me. I'm just, you know, I'm like this, but I really love Jesus, and I really love you, but I never show it. We have to show it, guys. We have to show it, if not for each other's sakes, which should be enough, we have to show it for our children's sake. Do your children know that you love that person in the church that you talk bad about because they're annoying? Do they know that you love that person you disagree with? Or do they only know that you disagree with them? We've been big on this for the last several years. And I'm telling you this not because I was good at it. I was pretty bad at it. But the discipleship for our children takes place in the home. And it's not just sitting down teaching. It's they get a front row 24 hour a day, seven days a week, look at Christ in you. How much Christ do they see in all that time with you? They, if you bring them to church, get to see every time the church gathers, they get to see God's love, his supernatural love, not with, you know, people out there, just with each other. Do they see that? We need to know we're losing. God's not losing. Acts affirms again and again, God will win. But we're losing. And we're doing it because we think like, this is just how I am. Yeah, isn't that the whole story of Christianity? This is how you were, and this is what happens when Christ gets a hold of you? I think that is the story, pretty sure. No, we are Christians by our love. 
what Paul writes in Romans 5 is that the Spirit pours out God's love on us. How can you have God's love poured out on you and it doesn't somehow be reflected in your life? And then in verse 9, it says this. And when, he had says these, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken away from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When we read stuff like this, we get, we get lost. You know, we, we just want to think about, oh, you know, Jesus ascended and, and Jesus is coming back. And, and we just think about those things. And, and we don't, we don't think about why this is in God's word. And we talked about a church that knows God's word and follows it. In other words, we're connected to, to the past, what God has done through Jesus Christ, what he has done and what has been revealed in scripture. We talk about a church being empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, God at work right now. And then we're seeing a church here that if we're going to become his church, we are to be preparing for his return. We're preparing for the return of the king. We're preparing for the return of Jesus. And I was always taught that this meant like I'm preparing my own heart. I want to be ready. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. I don't want, I don't want to, to be caught when Jesus comes, you know, not living for him, not doing what I needed to do, not preparing. But it's not just about you and me being prepared. It's about the church. And it's about the church making preparations in this world for the return of the king. It's more than hope. It is hope. It is a great hope. But it is more than hope. It is a duty. It is a responsibility. If, you know, if, if, if I were to tell you, like, you know, that, you know, the, the Queen of England was going to come visit our church, I know my wife would be like, we got a vacuum. We need to steam clean. You know, we need to clean all the windows. Maybe we should repaint. And some of you would be the same way, like, oh, what should we do? How, how should we get ready for the queen to come, even though she ain't even our queen? But we would think about all we need to do to prepare. How do we prepare for the return of Jesus? Again, it's the point that, that the, the two men in white robes make is, well, we know one thing. It's not about standing in one place and staring at the sky. 
It's not just thinking about, you know, the future. It's getting the kingdom ready for the king. It's being about God's business. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus just decided, you know what? I'm going to pay a visit to Wildlife Baptist Church. And he shows up. Wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus was, that's perfect, guys. But I wonder, what happens if Jesus is here, the Jesus who knows our hearts, and he looks at us. I'm not sure I would want him here. I'm not sure I could handle it. And it's not because of you. It's because of me. Because I know it's in my heart. I know the quality of the relationships that I have with people in the church. And I'm not saying they're bad. But are they expressions of God's love? Are we getting the kingdom ready for the king? That's what a church, that's becoming his church, does. Last week I told you if we encounter Jesus, we cannot help but worship. Well, let me add to that today. If we encounter the Holy Spirit, we cannot help but evangelize. We cannot help but witness. I've, you know, been in Baptist life, you know, since I was a zygote. And, you know, all through the years, even after becoming a Christian, I was given all of these, all of these, you know, different evangelism training, evangelism tools, and all this other stuff. And the thought that always bugged me was, why do we have to be trained to talk about what we're experiencing? If I'm encountering Jesus, and if I'm encountering the Holy Spirit, why do I have to be trained to talk about it? I'm not saying the training's not, you know, not some value in it. Instead, I'm saying, why do, why do I have to be trained to be motivated to talk about Jesus? If Jesus has filled my life with joy, do people see joy? If, people, if Jesus has filled my life with the fruit of the Spirit, with peace? Do people see peace? Do people see hope? Do people see faith? Do people see love? 
I think we need to evangelize with words. I think we need to explain things. I think we need to say it. But people also need to see it. If we're going to become his church, if we're going to be the witness to the world, it starts by encountering Jesus and encountering the Holy Spirit. We have to stop depending on ourselves that somehow we're going to make ourselves better. We need to trust Jesus, know his word, trust that he will do the rest. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but I always use this time to help us think about this. You know, as we face another year, what will we say at the end of 2022? You can fill in the blank here, but maybe you can say this, on January 2nd, of 2022, I was, whatever that word is, maybe you're afraid, maybe you're bitter, maybe you're prideful, maybe you're self-centered, maybe you're immature, and then you say, but December 31st, 2022? Jesus made me what? Hopefully, if you're fearful that Jesus made you brave, if you're angry and bitter that Jesus gave you a forgiving spirit, if you're self-centered and prideful that Jesus made you humble and centered on others, but it's more than just a personal thing. It's about the church. And when we look at the church, when we look at this church, Wiley Baptist Church, on, on January 2nd, 2022, we can say, we were, we were what? What were we today? And in December 31st of this year, what will we be able to say that Jesus made us.